This is exciting news. We've had 80 downloads. Nice. Yeah, it's exciting. I wanted to take this time to thank everyone who's listening and everyone who's sharing the podcast. Thank you so, 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 so much. You guys are awesome. Yeah. I'm really excited. We've got more content coming. In fact, I've been thinking about starting a Patreon. What do you think, Chuck? This would be an easy way for us to keep episodes up uh, so that everyone can see them. Right. I want to keep this content available to those who can't afford to pay because those are the ones who need it the most, right? Yeah. We could make bonus episodes. I can make artwork. Um, I can take requests for artwork. So let us know what you would like to see to keep this thing going. Hey, Chad. Hey, Mom. In this episode, we discuss social media. Yes. And I had a lot of fun recording this episode because I was able to find out things about your life online that I wasn't really aware of. There were a lot of things that you do that you share with me, but I think there's a lot that you keep to yourself. You really opened up. Well, I like sharing. (laughs) That's true, you do. Let's get on with the episode. There is a note, there is one perfect way of being And I know that I will find it out someday And there are times when I find myself repeating Every stupid thing I swore I'd never say But I will rise, I will face the morning laughing And I'll try and find myself along the way But there are days that I keep myself from crying As I try and face another goddamn day Hello and welcome to Gender Euphoria Podcast Where we amplify the voices of LGBTQ plus teens By listening to their personal stories and experiences Growing up in American society Let's talk a little bit about what social media means to you I guess that depends on what time frame. Um, When I was young, I would just frequent things like um, Animal Jam, Transfer Mice, and the only time I heard of LGBT people was online. I didn't hear it in the household. So um, that's how I learned about transgender people and gay people and lesbians. When I was younger, it was more positive. I was learning about these new things and I was being able to apply them in real life. Uh, unbeknownst to me, I would apply it to myself personally um, when I was around 11, 12, which is when I realized I was transgender and non-binary. At first, it was a very positive experience. I would find people like me. I would be able to talk to people like me. I was in a lot of areas that were LGBT friendly and also uh, friendly to furries, animals with human characteristics. Some people draw anthropomorphic animals. Some people just like wear fursuits, like cosplay as animals. Some people like just normal animals. Some people like animals that can stand on two legs. So for every person, it's kind of different, but the furry community is quite large because of how broad it is. And that's the part where it overlaps, where I would go onto furry communities and they would be very LGBT friendly. And I would learn about that. That's um, a very interesting part where I didn't necessarily search that out, but I found it. 
um, because of the communities I was in, which were very LGBT friendly. And I imagine some people like to also role play as furry characters where they might Um, not necessarily dress up as them or draw them, but they like to... They sort of, it's like an actor role, really. It's just acting out as a character uh, for role play. And that's something I liked doing since I was a young age and never really grew out of. When I was really young, I would pretend to be animals, first and foremost. I would rarely ever pretend to be a human. And that came, and that stuck with me um, when I was older. When I was 10, I would role play online as Warrior Cat. When I was 12, I would start role playing as furries. And even now, I still do that. Role play really introduced me to all these new things about myself and about other people. For a while, it was a positive influence. (laughs) Surprisingly, it wasn't until the 2016 election rolled around that I not only got more into politics, but began experiencing a negative side to social media. I was aware at a young age that people didn't like uh, LGBT individuals, but it wasn't until 2016 that I really got to realize that there were a lot of people that were discriminatory. Yeah, I guess they didn't understand the scale of it. Yeah. Until they became more outspoken. I think they became more vocal, definitely. I don't know if it got worse or if I was just becoming more aware of it. Three things happened at the same time. That was the election. I would say the brunt of puberty. Mm -hmm. And me becoming more aware of all these things that were important to me. Yeah. So... I was becoming more politically aware. I was becoming more socially aware. I was becoming more self-aware, just aware of who I am and becoming more, like, I understood myself better in a way Mm -hmm. um, of my gender identity, of my sexuality. Um, A lot of things were happening at once around when I was 12. It was a lot to take in. I had a two-way access to people now, and that hurt me and helped me. Um, I had a I had a community that could help me, and I also had access to people who could hurt me, and that was something I realized and had to deal with. I couldn't really. I didn't have a lot of friends at at that age. I didn't have a lot of friends just in general, and that's something that I had to deal with until I was around 14 when I genuinely started making friendships. Part of the reason why I didn't have a lot of in real life friends is because we moved around a lot. So I couldn't keep friendships. And then when I finally settled down, when we finally settled down somewhere, I was dealing with puberty and I was dealing with depression. So it was hard to keep friendships. Yeah. I I remember you going through this and it happened almost right after we'd moved. You know, we, had, we hadn't we had lived in California that long. You went to one school when we moved into the apartment when we first moved here. And then when we bought a home, which was about, what, a year, two years later, you had to move to a new school because it was easier. It was more convenient. But you had already established friendships at your other school. But when you moved to the new school, 
you couldn't handle major changes in your personal life and also trying to navigate making friends. Yeah. So it was like, I, I remember at the time you seemed really overwhelmed. Yeah. From a young age, I didn't have many interests that were gendered. Art wasn't necessarily that gendered. Video games were, and that's one of the few things that I that I had an interest in you that gravitated towards. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those things that I really gravitated towards video games. But, um, when I tried to talk t to friends about it, they would either not know about them or they would just kind of not be interested in. So I think a lot of the boys around my age were more interested in things like sports and physical activity. And I wasn't, and I wasn't interested in things that girls were. So I didn't have a lot of friends that I shared interests with. And that's that was a big problem in fourth grade, right before all the big stuff happened. Yeah. I was already losing friends because I I would only do I would only read Warrior Cats. That would be the only thing I did. Literally. And then when I ran out of Warrior Cat books to read, I would draw. So this was all solitary and I lost friends because of that, because I would only be interested in those two things. Yeah, I think hyper focused. That, I think that was part of the the autism played a part in that. Yeah, where I would only do these things, and then I would be confused why my friends didn't want to play with me. I think for a while I was fine with being solitary, and I was fine just reading these books and drawing, and that's it. And then the next grade rolled around, and I became more interested in forming relationships. And I realized that none of them weren't really my friends anymore. Oh. Some of them had even moved out to different schools. So I didn't really have a lot of people left to talk to. I had turbulent friendships since second grade, probably. Social media really helped. While I had more people to talk to, those positive experiences were still short-lived. I actually, when I was 10... I had a secondary account online to talk to myself, to roleplay with myself, because people didn't want to roleplay with me. And that's part of because of my inexperience. Um, I would act in a way that wasn't necessarily appropriate, I guess, um, in roleplay. It wasn't, like, inappropriate, but it was frowned upon. It was frowned upon to act in an overpowered way with your character. It was frowned upon for your character to be completely flawless, and that wasn't something that they liked. It was. It made sense for me as a 10-year-old to act that way. As a child, I wanted my characters to be perfect. And I wanted my characters to be cool. And I wanted them to be funny. And so I made them that way. And they didn't like that because they were older. And they were more interested in the flaws of characters. And as I grew older, I began to like those things too. But I was 10. And that's just how I liked to, liked to roleplay. And so my style of roleplay was different from them, and nobody really wanted to roleplay with me because I was like that. So I would make a secondary account, fittingly named Deathblood, um, yeah, to roleplay with me. Deathblood. I think it's important to note that at this point in time, none of us were aware that you were on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Gender identity, gender in it itself is a social construct, and that's one of the interesting <laughs> yeah. things about autism is that I, at least in my experience, I've not understood gender well, and I often 
still don't understand my own gender identity. Um, well, you're 16, so that's yeah, okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's it's okay for anyone to not know their gender identity or to not understand it fully or anything along those lines. It's okay to mm-hmm. experiment. It's okay to question your, question who you are. It's, it's okay to question those things. It's, it's okay, okay to question yourself. It's okay not to know. It's okay to say, I don't know that yeah. yet. And I think too many times we don't allow our children the space to just figure things out and, and to suspend judgment and to not make a decision on yeah. something. It's more common for autistic people to be transgender or non-binary or both. And that's just because of how our brain works, really. It's more common for us to be different in a lot of ways. I wonder if that has to do with the fact that you're not as strongly affected by those social demands as, say, someone who would be considered neurotypical. Well, every autistic person is is different. So I can say from my experience that I never felt those demands. I I was aware that those demands were there. I just thought they were dumb and I didn't listen to them. But I know not every person has my experience. So there are autistic people who are hyper aware of social situations and ones that aren't. Of course, there's a lot of autistic people who follow certain rules to a strong degree and some that don't. So I can't say that every autistic person is unaware of these social situations. Yeah. I, for one, have social anxiety. I am very nervous about those things. So I can't say like, I'm completely unaware in a social situation. I I know that you're aware. I know that when we're in a social setting where there's people that you're not familiar with, you do behave differently. And that's typical of anyone. You're kind of on your best behavior. I'm not going to say anything like all autistic people are like this or anything, but um, just just from statistics purely, there's a bigger chance of an autistic person being LGBT than someone who isn't autistic, usually neurotypical people. The rate is higher. Yeah. And that's mostly what I'm talking about. I think it's because... In a lot of ways, we don't fit in. Gender might be another one of those ways we just don't fit in. Gender is pretty strict in a lot of ways. Of course, nowadays, it's very often challenged. Not not as often as I'd like, but it is challenged. And um, it makes sense that somebody who doesn't fit in in a lot of ways in society won't fit in in this way. Just reject it. It's like, I don't fit in this box. I don't fit in that box. So I'm not going to get in either box. I'm going to stay outside those boxes. And society is telling you, no, you have to pick a box and you have to get in there. And you're just like, no, I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. That's refreshing to me. So on the one side, I'm like, yeah, go Chad. You, You do you. You do what works for you. And on the other side, I'm like trying to navigate that society is demanding that you choose mm-hmm. and I don't want society to be mean to my child. Yeah. So there's this, this conflict in my brain of wanting to encourage you to do you and be you and being proud of you for doing that. And then there's this side of me who's like, I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want people to be mean and I can't change other people's minds. Mm-hmm. So that's a difficult situation oftentimes for a parent to be in where They want only good things for their kids, but they can't control what other people say to them or do to them. And that's, that's very scary. It's definitely, I mean, I don't fully understand what it's like. I've never been in that situation, but I can understand that that's very difficult for a loved one, especially a child to have to experience a lot of pain. 
I think especially too at an age that you're at where you're figuring things out and you're learning these things about yourself and at the same time like you said earlier going on social media and figuring yourself out within your own life and then it being validated online by other people who share those same feelings and feeling that sort of camaraderie or or closeness to other people who are also going through that but at the same time being blasted with we don't like this about you and you're wrong and you're the problem with society yeah. and that that I can't even imagine having to navigate oh this is who I am and then suddenly realizing that there are an entire group of people who don't like me yeah. simply because of who I am and the crazy thing about all that is it comes from many different sides yeah. it comes from lesbophobes it comes from people who don't like non-binary people it comes from other transgender people it comes from people who are not of the community people in the community it can come from everywhere i've experienced a lot of hate not personally not personally but i've seen it and that's the interesting part i'm not often targeted but i have a lot of anxiety and i'm aware of those things happening and i have a lot of anxiety over being hurt well, you by, feel a lot of empathy. Yeah, I feel a lot at times. And you feel things very intensely. And I think just because it's not happening directly to you, you know because you are like that person who's being attacked, that could be you. And yeah. that's, that's a scary thought. Yeah, it's a, it's a mix. I, I worry about myself and I worry about other people. Mm -hmm. um, I try my best to be an ally. But I'm also 16, so it's not like I can give a lot of financial support at the moment. I do try to um, keep myself and other people safe. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard. I try when I'm out in the public. I try less on social media just because it's I can block people. And mm. that's I'm in not a bubble. It's like a safety net. You're surrounding it's, yourself with people yes. who validate you, mm -hmm. who are kind to you, and who are open-minded like yeah. you, and that's not a bad thing. You're thinking of, like, you might be creating an echo chamber. Yeah, and that's completely, However, that's wholly untrue. I don't think that's what you've got, because as long as within that group of friends, you you are willing to correct each other mm -hmm. and call each other out on, hey, wait a minute, you, you probably shouldn't use that word because X, Y, and Z, yeah. then I think that, you haven't created an echo chamber because you've still got people in there who are going to hold you accountable mm -hmm. and also holding you to this to a standard of being kind and loving and empathetic towards each other mm -hmm. I think that's a good thing and plus at your age I wouldn't worry too much because you're gonna you need to have positivity around you yes you need that to have a healthy mind I think one of the most important things in social media is curating your online experience using the blog button freely. And I the say block this, button, yeah. I I say this because a lot of people will hurt you. There's millions of people online and there's plenty of opportunities. Of course, there's always the chance that you're going to end up in an echo chamber, but I think the chances are harder when you're online just because there's so many people. So many right. people to challenge your viewpoints. That's definitely it's, true. It's in the communities I've been in. Um, calling people out happens often. Unfortunately, a lot of drama happens. It, people question your viewpoints a lot. 
I think that's very interesting. Um, I think it's a double-edged sword in a lot of ways. But I think for kids, especially, you have to curate your online experience. You have to cut out people who can hurt you because it's very unsafe in a lot of ways. Yeah. And you have to be careful. You have to be safe. That's the most important thing. I think it's more important for you to be safe than for people to question your viewpoints when you're at a young age like that. I agree. I agree. And you make a really good point because understanding that when you're young will translate to adulthood. When you encounter someone who maybe you've known for a while and you feel you could trust and then they do something that's very hurtful. I think it's important to understand that it's okay to cut people out of your life who are not contributing in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think too many times people value loyalty over what's best for them. Yeah. But sometimes people don't deserve our loyalty. Yeah. Sometimes people break your trust and it's okay to say, I need to take a break from this person. Even if it's just for a short time, it's okay to do that because... You've got to take care of your own mental Mm -hmm. health. Being on social media has taught me a lot about not putting people on pedestals and cutting people out of my life. And that's not Mm -hmm. because they question my viewpoints. That's because they were bad people, like genuinely bad people. And I'm not going to go into detail because it's a lot. But there have been bigotry. There's been putting kids in unsafe situations, sexual harassment. There's been times where I've been young and I've been hurt by people I thought I could trust or put in unsafe situations. Maybe um, maybe the beginnings of grooming. Yes. There has been a moment where I could have been groomed. And if it weren't for my anxiety and getting myself out of that situation, I think it could have gotten much worse. That was one time. And... I have a lot of anxiety about, like, calling things traumatic experiences. I don't know if I've ever experienced trauma in my life. I'm not going to say I've experienced things akin to grooming, but I could have been. Well, you don't. The good thing is you don't have to decide that now. Maybe you need time and perspective and you examine it with a different through a different lens and you see it for what it was. And that's okay. And in my opinion, I don't have to know the label of what it was. I'm safe right now. And you got yourself out of those situations. I got myself out of the situation. In a way, I've learned a lot about staying out of situations that could be harmful to me. I know, too, there are situations you've been in where you've come to me and been like, I don't know what this is. And you've asked me to kind of help you process it. Mm-hmm. And navigate that. And I've tried to be as helpful as possible in those situations. Fortunately, I know we struggled when you were younger and you were having a lot of um, uh, anxiety and depression over things that, you know, had occurred online between other you and other people and discussions. And I've sometimes wanted to be like, just don't use the Internet for a while, not realizing that I was throwing the baby out with the bathwater where I was saying, well, if one part is bad, then all of it needs to go. But really, I realized through those processes with with you and I that there are opportunities to learn mm-hmm. and grow as a person and that it's okay to let you feel upset about something. Yeah, and I think social media, it's definitely been better now. And that is because, well, one, COVID, I can't really meet people, so I 
I have to rely on online interactions. Yeah. And, for socialization. And, yeah. And in the last two to three years, I've actually built friendships that have lasted. Yeah. I've built friendships with people and it's, it's been good. Yes, I've had to cut out a few people. And yes, I've had to hear about people I've genuinely admired doing awful things. But I know how to deal with it. Yeah. I know how to cut these people out of my life. And I've learned more and more to not put people on pedestals. Yeah, I think that's something you learn over time, you Mm -hmm. know, because unfortunately people will disappoint you. I think the difference is the... Severity. The severity at the which severity. they disappointed you. Yeah. And, the you know, whether it's consistently happening. And I think, like you've said recently, you had to cut someone out, not just because they disappointed you, but because it was a pattern of behavior yeah. in making those same choices. Sometimes people do things and they are so downright awful, they can probably never make up for it. Right. And sometimes people do things and you just... You can't stay friends with them. And well, also, those... you're, not, you're not obligated to. Yeah, you're it's, not it's obligated not to stay friends with anyone. To make sure that they have a friendship. Do what you need to do for yourself. Yeah, and if somebody deems themselves to be unsafe, the better bet is to cut them out. Maybe they'll learn and grow, but... It's really not for you to worry about. Yeah. It's not your concern. It's not your job to be part of their recovery process, mm-hmm. you know, because there's no guarantee that they will change. Yeah, being online has taught me a lot. I don't think I'm going to leave it anytime soon. And that's partly because I actually made friends. Yeah, I friends. made friends, and that's that's great. Yeah, And you guys do a lot of things together. You role play, you stream, you play video games together. I mean, you've got, you share interests. And you, not only that, but it seems like you all have different interests, too, that you support each other in. Yeah, that's the cool thing about it, is that they're all so different. That's just because of the diversity of all my friends. (laughs) They often bring up a lot of interesting points that I never would have considered. Mm -hmm. And that's what being online can do. I do have, I have a lot of mutuals, like, and mutuals are people on Twitter who you follow and they follow, so you can Uh. see each other's stuff. And I have a lot of those now, interestingly enough. I have a lot of different people that challenge my viewpoints and bring up things that I never would have considered. And I think that's really cool. So I think social media overall has been positive, not only for transition, but for friendship making. Because I don't know if I ever would have called myself transgender and non-binary if I was not on social media. Because I just wouldn't have learned about those things. You wouldn't have the terminology to explain those things. And that would have continued to be a frustration for you because I think... I think when you, when it first started for you, we didn't have the language to to understand it and to yeah. put a name to it. And so there was a good year before you were just like, when you were just miserable. I've read that there's that typical hoodie covering yeah. up, hiding your body, hiding. Uh, wearing the hoodies, just like hoodies, yoga posture pants. posture that hides Scru- your yeah. body. Yeah. yeah, a lot of transgender people who haven't come out or aren't aware that they're transgender often hide their bodies and that's part of just the dysphoria um a lot of transgender people not all of them have that kind of gender dysphoria where oftentimes they don't like their body or they just feel like something's wrong it it differs 
It's like a level said, of distress. And like you said, not everyone who's transgender has dysphoria. Yeah. And I think that is important to emphasize. Not everyone who's transgender, not everyone who's non-binary feels distress over their body or their gender. And that doesn't make them any less transgender mm -hmm. or any more transgender. Mm -hmm. It just is. It just is. It's you don't have to suffer to be that. Yeah. And that is beautiful. I think it for is. a long time, the community has had to suffer in order to be known. We don't have to suffer in order to be valid, in order to be who we are. Yeah. And I think that's something we need to focus on more is solidarity, not in suffering, but in who we are. Yes. The goal should be to feel good with who you are. Yeah. Yeah. This has been Gender Euphoria Podcast. Special thanks to the Yellow Dresses for our intro and outro music, Tummy in the Blood. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please visit the resources listed in our episode notes. You can find us on Twitter with at Gen Euphoria Pod. If you're interested in being featured on our show, email us at gendereuphoriapodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.